0: الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى الصلاة والسلام على عباده اللذين اصطفاء أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ولا تستوي الحسنة ولا السيئة اذفع بالتي هي أحسن فإذا الذي بينك وبينه عداوة كأنه ولي حميم قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ما نقصد صدقة من مال وما, آتا وما آتاه الله عبدا بعفو إلا عزا وما تواضع أحد لله إلا رفعه الله عز وجل أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم Also, Factor Ullamai Kiram, Brothers and Elders, the prescription for total success in this dunya, in the Akhirat, this is something that Allah Ta'ala has kept only and solely in the ittiba and in the following of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Without the ittiba of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, person cannot gain success in dunya and success from akhirat is also obviously very far away. The Quran Sharif in many places Allah Ta'ala has emphasized upon us the importance of following in the footsteps of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The person who follows in that Mubarak footsteps has been promised that he will become the Mahbub and the Beloved of Allah Ta'ala. Can we imagine that we are all trying and every Mu'min should be trying to become, to gain the love of Allah Ta'ala and make Allah Ta'ala His Beloved, (coughs) gain the love of Allah Ta'ala in His heart to the point that that becomes dominant over everything. Here Allah Ta'ala is promising that the person who follows in the footsteps of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he will become the beloved of Allah Ta'ala. قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبُكُمُ اللَّهِ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ If you follow Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah Ta'ala will love you. You will become the beloved of Allah Ta'ala. So this, something that should always be in the front of a mu'min's mind that how can he get closer to rasulullah sallallahu alaihi sallam in every aspect of life and every sunnah that he tries to emulate tries to bring into his life this brings him a big step closer to rasulullah sallallahu alaihi sallam. every sunnah that he tries to act upon this fills his heart with noor It enlightens his heart. It makes him, it enables him to see what is beneficial for him in dunya and akhirat. Akhirat obviously, anything in deen will open the light to akhirat. But even in his aspects and affairs of dunya, this becomes easier for him to understand, to be able to make the right decisions in life, to be able to do what is going to be beneficial for him. This comes with the noor that Allah Ta'ala instills in the heart. In the light of that noor, he can see clearly what is best for him and what is harmful for him. So this ittiba and this following of Rasulullah Sallallahu this is something which has been emphasized very greatly, and that this is it. The very famous and well-known couplet of our عالي, that in the footsteps of Rasulullah this is the path to Jannat. and a person wants to reach Allah then the only road to get there is the road of Sunnat. there is no other road so Sunnat is a very very comprehensive way it includes every aspect of life there is nothing that is excluded from it because rasulullah sallallahu alaihi was an example in every aspect of life laqad kana lakum fi rasulillahi uswatun hasana sallallahu alaihi in his life was a most splendid example this is very unfortunate that while on the one hand the world out there has not understood islam whether they have been just caught up in the propaganda of the media, whether they have misunderstood it because of not having known it better. So on the one hand, that is one part of it, that the world out there did not understand what Islam is all about in reality. To a very large extent, this is the case. But the bigger tragedy is, that those who have this deen, and have this gift of the Mubarak way of Rasulullah Wasallam, we didn't even display that correct path and correct way. As a result, the person who is without deen, without iman, and he is trying to gain a picture of what Islam is all about, then he takes our actions to be what Islam is. And he gets a very distorted picture and a distorted view, and as a result, this keeps him back. But the fault is ours. We didn't present what is the true picture of Islam. And in particular this aspect of the Sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam his way of life. We didn't present that way of life that any person who sees it will be able to get a correct picture of Islam and Deen. So that is the greater tragedy. So in any case the Sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, every aspect of Sunnah is extremely important very beneficial, fills the heart with noor. Every sunnah that a person emulates takes him a huge step closer to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Answering the call of need in the sunnah manner, that is something that is part of human nature. And he will go about this in any case. But answering that call of need, that he went about it in the way they did that Rasulullah Sallallahu Wasallam taught. Before he entered the toilet, he recited the dua, he entered with the left foot, he entered with the adab, with his head covered, and all the various other etiquettes that go in this regard, then that particular aspect of life which any human being fulfills, that has become an ibadat in his regard, for him it has become an ibadat. And this has brought him closer to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam than a person who perhaps performed some ibadat also, but haphazardly far away from the sunnah. Without taking any care to be fulfilling that in the way of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So sunnah includes every aspect. Whether it's our eating, how we eat, whether it's the way how a person sleeps, whether how he conducts other day-to-day aspects of life. Everything is part of sunnah. And whatever tawfiq a person is blessed with to fulfill some sunnah, that too is something to be very grateful for. To make a lot of shukr for. That Allah Taala gave this tawfiq that a person did these amal, whatever it was, that he was blessed with the tawfiq of fulfilling the sunnah in that regard. That too is a very great gift, very great bounty. But then, Together with that, many a times, our understanding or rather not understanding than our action, when it comes to following the Sunnah, it gets confined to some of these aspects only of eating, of drinking, of clothing. And indeed that too is something very great, in itself it's very great. At no stage must that be regarded as well, not very significant, no it's very significant. But at the same time, Sunnah is not confined to that. Like we generally discuss the aspect of ibadat, that ibadat is not confined to salah, not confined to zakat and hajj and fasting. Ibadat has other facets as well. Mu'amalat and monetary dealings, that's also part of ibadat, to be done the right way. And the muasharat and social life, that to be conducted in the correct manner. And a person's akhlaq, all this is also part of deen. So, deen is not only confined to ibadat. Deen has all these facets. So, likewise, sunnat also is not confined to only the manner of eating and drinking. Not confined only to the aspects of how a person fulfills other day-to-day aspects of life. That is obviously in its place. But together with that, there were other sunnats of Rasulullah وسلم which are internal sunnats one of the very great sunnats of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam sunnat is at-tariqatul masluqatu fi the path that a person treads in deen how he conducts himself in life his manner of life so something about the sunnah of rasulullah sallallahu his manner of life what was something that was very much in completely ingrained in his life That was something which was called Af. Forgiveness. Forgiveness also was a very great sunnah of Rasulullah. And such a great sunnah that he lived by this. This was his way. And he kept on exhorting the Sahaba at every step with the same lesson. The Prophet lived it to a point that it boggles the mind. And after all, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's every bit of his life was the Qur'an Sharif. As Aisha Siddiqah was asked about the akhlaq and the character of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, her simple reply was ka'na khuluquhu al-Qur'an. His life, his akhlaq, his character was the Qur'an Sharif. Read the Qur'an Sharif, you'll know what was his character. And in the Qur'an Sharif Allah Ta'ala has repeated this command of forgiveness, of forgiving and overlooking so Nabi sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, this was ingrained in his life. It's a conquest of Makkah Mukarramah. And in order to understand this, one has to bring to his mind what happened prior to the conquest of Makkah Mukarramah. What happened in those 13 long years in Makkah Mukarramah when Nabi sallallahu was still there, before he made hijrat and went to Madina Munawara. What kind of difficulties and hardships he was put through those around him, what kind of difficulties they were put through? To make them leave deen, his sahaba being made to lie on the burning sands of Makkah Sharif with huge rocks being placed, boulders being placed on their chests. Can we imagine? It's beyond imagination. person sometimes, just for a brief moment, he's trying to find his shoe sometime in a sunny place there and he can't stand on that floor because of the heat can we imagine somebody being made to lie flat with his body bare, his back bare on the burning sand and on top of that there is one hot boulder on him being whooped mercilessly and people taking turns to whoop them because they are getting tired of whooping can we imagine Hazrat Bilal being dragged along Makkah the roads of Makkah Mukarramah? And he is shouting out, Ahad, Ahad. What love the Sahaba had for Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is beyond what we can imagine. And likewise the love Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had for the Sahaba is far beyond the love we can ever have for our own children too. Can we imagine then, with that degree of love in his heart for them, seeing their conditions, and he is helpless, he can't do anything about it. He is just himself in such situations. He's passing by Hazrat Ammar bin Yasir and his family and how they are being tormented and persecuted and eventually Hazrat Sumayya becomes the first martyr of Islam. But Nabi Sassam passes by them all he can say is صَبْرًا Yasir. Jannah. O oh family of Yasir just be patiently The promised place for you is Jannat. Now, all this had happened. Nabi Islam was put through such difficulty with his entire family for three years, completely ostracized and boycotted in the valley of Abi Talib to the extent that there was not even food to eat. Can you imagine? Three years, not a small duration of time. Days would go past without having eaten anything. And it, with the entire family, entire extended family, entire Banu Hashim, all of them were now ostracized. Banu Talib. So all this Nabi Saath through this was prior to Hijraj. Then he migrated to Madina Munawara. Now, after migrating to Madinah Munawwarah, then too he is not left in peace. Then sometimes it is one attack after the other, and then sometimes comes a situation of Uhud, seventy of his Sahaba are being martyred, and then sometimes it is Bir Mauna, and another seventy Qurra Sahaba are being martyred, and Uhud, Hazrat Hamza radiyallahu anhu is martyred. Uncle of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who he was very close to. All these things were being done by the Quraysh. So can you imagine this long time of now 13 years in Makkah Mukarramah, then, then another 8 years in Madina Munawwara and this is still going on in different ways. Now after another 8 years in Makkah Mukarramah, finally the occasion comes now where Makkah Mukarramah is going to be conquered. The lengthy history behind it, what led to this, before this was the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And then eventually the Quraysh, they reneged on this treaty. They broke the treaty by doing something that they had agreed on not doing. As a result, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam marched with the Sahaba towards Makkah al-Mukarramah, And when they saw this entire army coming, they realized that they got no chance. So eventually they all just realize that there's no, no point in trying to resist this. Nabi Islam enters Makkah Mukarrama victorious. Now can we imagine generally in dunya what happens when somebody conquers a place and he conquers a place especially after he had perhaps been in a hard situation before that in a very difficult situation. What goes on? What kind of Bloodshed takes place. Hmm. Nabi Sassim enters Makkah Mukarramah, there is general amnesty being announced. Amen. The person who enters the Haram Sharif, he'll be safe. Nobody will touch him. The person who gets into his house and keeps the door closed, hmm. anybody in the house of Abu Sufyan, nobody will touch him. General amnesty being declared. And these are the very people who now, they are finally brought in front of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and among them were those who were in the forefront of the persecution of the Muslims. I'm not talking about just some taunting and some mocking and they committed murder. They committed the most heinous crimes against Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi in the Sahaba al-Karam, against the family of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Nabi Salaam addresses them. Now all these leaders who were there at that time are standing in front with their heads hanging in shame and fearful what's going to be the outcome now. Nabi Salaam asks them "That what do you think I'm going to do with you? How do you think I will treat you now? So now they in a very feeble voice some of them say that you are a very noble brother and the son of a noble brother. All we can ask for is. Your mercy and kindness. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Responds to them. And he says to them. He victorious over this whole. Place. And with this history behind it. The people who were at the forefront. Of the persecution are now. Lined up in front of him. And the. Response Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Gives to them is. La aqoolu lakum. إِلَّا كَمَا قَالَ يُوسُفُ لِأَخِيهِ لَا عَلَيْكُمُ الْيَوْمُ يَغْفِرُ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَهُوَ So I will only tell you that which Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam said to his brothers. I will not say anything else but that which Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam said to his brothers. What did he say? After whatever his brothers put him through, threw him into the well, and then came and made some story at home, and gave his father such grief and then had him sold off as a slave as a result of which he finally ended up in Egypt and then that became the means of him getting falsely accused and getting thrown into prison for seven long years. And After all that when his brothers finally became completely helpless at his mercy, incident is very long we are aware of the details of the incident. Yusuf Alayhi Salaam's one statement was La tathriba alaykum alayhum No revenge against you today. Amen. Allah Ta'ala forgive you. Amen. Nabi Salaam is saying to these people on that occasion I will also repeat only that same statement. Oh. Only the one statement. La tathriba alaykum alayhum. No revenge against you today. No revenge for what? For just saying something, for speaking something, for mocking. No, the kind of atrocities that they committed. And Nabi Salaam has one statement. La tathriba alaykum alayhum. No revenge against you today. This was his life. This is one incident among the many, many incidents in the life of Rasulullah <laughs> Of just forgiveness. And this was the tarbiyat that Nabi Islam made of the Sahaba Ikram. Forgiveness. This is a sunnah. And a very big sunnah. And if other sunnahs also have that great noor in it and have that great power in it, and that great benefit of taking a person huge steps closer to Rasulullah sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, this is a very huge sunnah. Can we imagine the extent of the noor that comes through this sunnah? And the closeness that this brings to Rasulullah sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? When Sayyida Aisha r.a. was slandered, and then this very difficult time passed, for almost one month, there was no wahi regarding the issue. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi himself was very perturbed because of Munafiqeen, the hypocrites had created this slander and some simple Muslims also got caught up in it. And they started passing on this rumor. And Siddiqui Akbar, ta'ala and Abu Bakr, ta'ala he is the father. Can you imagine what went through him? Now after all this had now been cleared, an entire ruku of the Qur'an Sharif is revealed, which made it clear that Hazrat Aisha is completely free of any blame and fault in this. She is completely pure and chaste. And this is the evil of the Munafiqeen. One person who got caught up in all this was Mistah, the cousin of Hazrat Abu Bakr. And he was somebody that used to be financially assisted by Abu Bakr and he got caught up in this. So when this became, when the matter was cleared that Aisha is blameless in this whole thing. Abu Bakr was very hurt. This cousin of mine, I help him so much and then he becomes a means of slandering my daughter. So he took a qasam. He took a Qasam, I will never give Mista a thing again. But Nabi Yisrael had taken the Sahaba through a period of tarbiyat and the Qur'an Sharif made their tarbiyat. This was going through the motions of tarbiyat. The Qur'an Sharif in ayat is revealed, lil Qurba wal Masakin wal Muhajirin fi wal Yafu wal Yasfahu." Those whom Allah Ta'ala has given this virtue and this greatness and blessing, they must not take any such qasam and take any oaths, that they will not give the poor and the needy and those who have migrated in the path of Allah Ta'ala. Rather what they should do, they should forgive and overlook. Now in what context this is being said? And which circumstances this is being told? Can we imagine the pain of that father at that time? One month this is going on and there was yet no clarification. After one month this clarification comes. So on the one side what a relief and then simultaneously what a disappointment about who had become involved in it. And therefore this came through, just came on his tongue. But Allah Ta'ala says, no you mustn't take such a qasam. Rather, Ala Do you not love that Allah Ta'ala should forgive you? But this was the Sahaba. that The slightest indication of what is expected of them. And they are ready of it. Our situation is, if something came off the tongue, that I won't do this, after having realized that, no, that's something to do. This is a good thing, it's something I should do, it's good for me, it's good for others. But because I already said it now once, how on earth can I now take this back? It will mean that now I humiliated myself. Whereas the Sahaba Ikram didn't think in that way. They didn't see any humiliation in doing what is the right thing. They saw their izzat and honor in doing what is right. And they didn't feel anything about withdrawing and retracting from the wrong... Or something that was inappropriate that they did. Or what was not the better route. It might not have been wrong in itself too. But in withdrawing from that and doing what was better, they found no hesitation. When it was put to them, they immediately took it. That was a way of the sahabah i And this was their real remarkable aspect of them. That the slightest indication in the Fazal Kitabs we read so many of those incidents. Nabi Isra'am sees this big structure, Which in itself wasn't wrong. It wasn't haram. There wasn't anything impermissible about it. But from the level of the Sahaba kiram, the standard Nabi Islam also wanted to keep for the Ummad. From that point of view, this wasn't appropriate. So it was just a little slight indication by merely asking, who does this belong to? That's all. Nothing else. Whose is this? And then just another indication, little indication of just not showing the same affection to the person. That's all. And the person gets to find out but why something has changed. We don't know but Nabi Sassam asked about that structure you put up. He goes and it's raised to the ground. Demolished. Person had hair which was not appropriate. Nabi Sassam just made some little indication. Just some indication. And but he got the message, finished, done, out. So whatever, the slightest indication, whatever was required of them, the slightest indication. And as soon as that indication was made and they understood the indication, that was sufficient, nothing more required. Here too, when the ayat of the Quran Sharif is revealed, now such a major incident has taken place, such pain, such hurt, And the emotional hurt, emotional pain, is much more than physical pain. Physical pain is to a point. Emotional pain, this is very deep. And here was complete emotional pain of the highest level. But in one instant, as soon as the ayat is revealed, Abu Bakr responds to say that, I love Allah Taala. should forgive me. I therefore forgive Mista, not only forgive him, I will double what I used to give him. What I used to give him, I will double it. This was the way Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam trained the Sahaba Ikram. And therefore this was their response. This was the Sunnah that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam lived, the Sunnah of forgiveness. And this was the Sunnah that the Sahaba took from Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And at every step this was that encouragement they were given. This was the lesson they were taught. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was the Nabi of the Ummat. While he was present in dunya, he was the Qazi of the time. If there was an issue in Madinah, Munawar, it was brought to him for a decision. He was the Qazi also. He was the Mufti. He was everything. It was him. And he was the Murabbi of the Ummat also. He made the Tarbiyat of the Ummat. Now many a time, something was technically fine. As far as the law is concerned, it was within the rights of a person. But Nabi Wasallam was at the same time a murabbi of the ummat also. He was making the tarbiyat of the ummat. So there were times when he did not make a clear declaration about something. Otherwise, if he made a clear declaration, then that would become the law. For example, one woman had bought some dates From somebody. And out of desperation she had nothing else. In that time and age people who had nothing else to live on. Just passed their time on dates. They would eat just dates and water and carry on with life. So in this desperate situation she bought some dates. And that too she didn't have any money to buy it. On cash. She bought it on credit. I'll pay you at a certain time. Hoping that inshallah by that time I'll be able. It's for survival. In those days. Then The B himself took loans and the Sahaba also took loans for survival not for luxuries. This is something which the Western system that a person must keep borrowing in order to live a life of luxury and and in the process he is enslaved now. Now he must keep working to make to keep servicing all that. And that lanath and curse of interest then carries on. So in this, give him a comfortable life, but he'll become a slave in some comfort. So physically he's outwardly in comfort, but his heart and mind now is bonded. What bonded has got many connotations in it. It's all tied up. And as a result... In the midst of that luxury also, he is still slave, enslaved. He is not free to now do as he wants. He still has to work in a way, now he sometimes reached a certain age now, he feels I like can't work anymore, but he has to because he's tied himself up in all this haram. The Sahaba Ikram also, they sometimes took loans. They sometimes bought on credit. It was for survival. Yes, a person has some excess, Allah Ta'ala has blessed him with something, and he can afford that luxury, afford that comfort, Alhamdulillah, no problem, he earned it in a halal way, and he's spending it within the limits of Shariat and Deen, spending on the other servants of Allah Ta'ala who are less fortunate also, then Alhamdulillah, Allah Ta'ala give him in it. But, here the aspect was, that the point we were talking about was, that the Sahaba borrowed for survival. In any case, she bought these dates, now when the time came, she couldn't manage to pay the full amount. As it is, she's just barely living on hand to mouth and less than that. So now she requested the creditor, the person she was owing the money to, that please just discount something from this. So he said, no, I am not discounting anything. And he was fully within his rights to do that. That was his right. There was a fixed price. The deal was done on that price. And now he was owed that money. So he was not obliged to discount anything. Now she's in this desperate, she has nothing else. It's not that she's got something excess and she's now, she's got nothing else. Now she's trying to plead with him, and several times she requested. Eventually, he got a bit irritated. He took a qasam. He took an oath, I will never discount one bit of this. He took an oath and said it. Now when he took an oath and said it, she lost hope in ever getting any discount here. But then she came and related this whole incident to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This person, I tried to just plead with him and I requested please discount something. Eventually he took this oath that he will never discount anything out of it. On the one side, if Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam just merely said that we'll find that she's right, then what is the better path for the ummah that would never have been learned? On the other side, if he was called and told, look, discount it. That would have become the law. That a person is obliged to discount it. Whereas that's not the obligation. That's his right. Nabi Islam heard this. This was his kamal and his perfection of tarbiyat. He immediately responded and said, that what? He took a oath, Allah Allah yaf'ala khira." Allah 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 Khaira, three times he took an oath that he won't do a good act. Did he take an oath that he won't do a good act? Meaning discounting it for a really hard pressed person. That was a noble thing to do. But now he took an oath he won't do this. Three times Rabbi Sallam repeated this statement. And that's all he kept quiet. Didn't say anything further. This message reached this person's ears. Do you know what happened? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi was informed about this whole incident. And when he heard you took this oath, three times he said this. What did he take an oath that he won't do a good act? Now this was the tarbiyat. And here was the, the sahaba and their response. As soon as he heard this, he comes directly to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That, Ya Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I am ready to even wipe out the whole debt if you tell me now.'" And if you tell me to discount it to any amount, I'm ready to discount it. You tell me to wipe it out completely, I'm ready to wipe it out. And he says, no, nobody asked you to wipe it out. But she's in a difficult situation, so if you discount it for her, wipe off a certain amount, that'd be a very good thing. So he says, very well. Whatever she, whatever amount of discount she wants out of it, that's it. It's done. But this was that lesson of constantly teaching the ummah to compromise To come to some kind of peace, maintain the happiness, consider one another and forgiveness because when we are living with human beings, nobody is perfect. We are not perfect, others are not perfect. And we are living in situations and circumstances that keep changing all the time. Sometimes somebody is in a good mood, sometimes they are not in a good mood, sometimes somebody (coughs) is very well, sometimes the person is very sick. Sometimes a person person's mental condition has been affected by some incident, something. He's not thinking correctly. So, As a result of all these circumstances that keep changing, sometimes a person says something out of line, does something he didn't mean to say, which he himself regrets later on. Somebody didn't really get the chance to really build his character and akhlaag. So now he's conducting himself in a wrong manner. So that is as far as others are concerned. But we are being taught, look, all this will carry on. You build yourself. You get closer to Allah Ta'ala. And one of the very big things in this regard is the sunnat of forgiveness. You develop the sunnat of forgiveness. Once one person, Nabi Salaam is in his room, and he can hear some voices being raised in the masjid. So he lifted the curtain to see what's going on. There were two sahaba, again a similar situation. One was owing the other some money. Qab bin Malik, and another sahabi. Ibn Abil Hadrad So, Kaab bin Malik was the one the money was being owed to. The other Sahabi is telling him, Please, I can't manage the whole amount now. Again, the same situation. The person took it for survival and now he just doesn't have the ability to pay it on time. Please, if you can just discount something. He said, No, I don't, I'm not discounting anything. Now, this led into a little bit of a small argument kind of situation. Voices got raised. Nabi Salaam overheard this voices being raised. He lifted the curtain and he sees what's going on. He understood what's happening. He probably heard them, what they are talking about. Nabi Salaam immediately addressed the Kaab bin Malik. And he didn't say anything also. He just by means of an indication of you wipe out half. Just merely that indication of the hand in whichever way it was, which indicated that wipe out half. On the spot he said, Ya Rasulullah, I've given half away. I've forgiven half. Nabi the other sahabi, you now pay the other half. Oh. says, very well, I'm ready. But the lesson in all this, again, that give and take. Now sometimes we say, but give and take, the other person only taking, you're not giving. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes, these situations come up where Allah Ta'ala gives some people more opportunities to take more from Allah Ta'ala. Give and take in dunya, sometimes we'll give, sometimes we'll take, we'll carry on. But sometimes some people get more opportunities to take from Allah Ta'ala. One is the limits which Allah Ta'ala has defined in the Qur'an Sharif, that if a person has been harmed in some way, and he has the right to take revenge in equal proportion. That's a right. But in taking that right, he's not going to get any sawab in that. There's not one bit of any reward in it. He won't get rewarded for it. But this is right. He can take it if he wants to. But there's no reward in it. But if he decides to forego that, somebody hurt him, somebody harmed him in some way, and he says, doesn't matter, I forgave it. That, that is something which now let alone just a small right that he gave away, he will be rewarded in a way that he can't even imagine, and that reward comes in dunya also, it comes in akhirat as well. Dunya can't encompass what the reward of the akhirat is. The real reward is the reward of the akhirat. In this ayat of the Qur'an, that was recited at the beginning, inshallah, we'll finish off on this. Allah ta'ala says, "Wala hasanatu wala What is good? And what is evil, these two can never be equal. The right conduct and the wrong conduct can't be equal. So somebody has conducted himself in a wrong way, and somebody else did the right thing, this person can't be just ignored. What Allah Ta'ala will give him is beyond imagination. But Then in order to encourage this, always trying to be the one, not just doing what is right, doing what is better. Because Allah Ta'ala doesn't just want us to pass Allah Ta'ala wants us to have distinctions. When a person is studying for that examination, he is not studying just to pass. He wants to get the best pass. Why? Because if he gets the best pass, it will open the doors to promotions. Allah Ta'ala wants us to get the promotions of akhirat. Allah Ta'ala says, That you return whatever was done to you. In a better way. In other words, you respond in a better way. Somebody did something wrong, you respond in a beautiful way. He did something, you respond with forgiveness. One is, as we often explain this point, there's some recoverable right. There's something that, monetary, right, whatever, person has the need for it by all means, he's entitled to ask for it and take it. Keeping the dignity of Deen in place and keeping his own respect and honor in place, not transgressing those bounds, not conducting himself in a way that disgraces himself and disgraces being also. Then within that limits, by all means he is entitled to claim what is rightfully belonging to him. Then if he has, is just something beyond that, or apart from that rather, there is nothing recoverable in terms of material things. It is emotional, it is something that He's been hurt in some way. There too he has the right to take revenge in equal proportion. But Allah Ta'ala is saying, ahsan." Among the rewards, there's so many things involved in it. He's going to restrain his anger in this. Because now this anger is going to be pushing him for revenge. He's going to say, no, I'm not taking this revenge. So he's going to be restraining his anger. Restraining his anger, Allah Ta'ala, Nabi Wasallam says, such a person, Allah Ta'ala fills his heart with aman and iman. The person who restrains his anger where he could have vented it. He had the opportunity or the power to vent it. But he did not do so. Allah will fill his heart with aman and iman. With peace and the strength of iman. And in the akhirat, Allah will give him the choice of the hurayin. Now this is just one aspect that will go along with it. That he restrained himself. He did not take revenge. He did not do anything of that nature. This is in store for him. Apart from that though, whatever, this is part of, one of the highest aspects of good akhlaq is forgiveness. And now this is something that can be imagined. Good akhlaq is the weightiest thing on the scales of good deeds. And among the highest things of good akhlaq is forgiveness. Can we imagine the weight of it? So this is something beyond human comprehension and understanding that how much Allah will give him. And then it comes in dunya also. Allah Ta'ala says, فَإِذَا الَّذِي بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَهُ عَدَاوَةٌ كَأَنَّهُ وَلِيٌّ حَمِيمٌ That you continue doing this. Continue responding in the right way, in the better way. Soon the person who is your arch enemy, Allah Ta'ala will turn him into a bosom friend. But now again the same story, we're living in this microwave age. So we press the button, you must see it happen now. So now we just forgive somebody, but now why is this person not looking at me correctly? But yesterday I forgave him, and now he doesn't look at me. Hadith al Hadith he mentions that there was some these things unfortunately happen everywhere. Sometimes due to some people missing the point, so there was some family dispute in the extended family. Now he used to live in Saharampur, and his hometown was Kanla. So when he came, he used to come once in a while. When he came there, he understood that this was going on. Now one is his, so to say, half of the family, his side of the family. And the other side of the family is now, they're not interested in meeting, mixing, talking. He ignored that all this is happening. And he decided to go and visit everybody. So now one of the people from his side of the family came along. Now as he's going, now he's knocking the door of somebody. That person opens the door. He says, okay, this person is here. Now he knows he's on the other end of the family. He's got nothing to do with the issue, the incident. He wasn't even aware of it. But this becomes the Jahalat. This becomes the Shaitan, Shaitaniyat. The person who didn't have anything to do with it also, but because he is so-and-so's father, or so-and-so's son, or so-and-so's brother, by default he is also guilty. Whether he likes it or not, why he is so-and-so's father, he's also guilty. In the days of Jahiliyat, this was the thing that used to happen... That if a person now committed murder, for example. So, the son committed murder, they'll leave the son, they'll catch the father and execute him. The father committed murder, they'll catch the son and execute him. Now, this was jahiliyad. This was the ignorance. That ignorance still exists in different forms in this time and age. <coughs> One person did something wrong, but while you are his brother, you're also are guilty by default. So, this is the jahalat. So now he is knocking the door, the person sees who's there, he shuts the door in his face. Next place, third place and this is carrying on over and over again. Any case, he came and went, he didn't bother, he went away. After one year he came back. After one year he came back, he decided, I'm going to go back and visit everybody. So now that same family person from his side of the family who had accompanied him the previous year, he's coming along with him again this time too. And again he's knocking the door. Again, the door is opening. The person is seeing who's there. It's getting slammed on his face. So this happened two, three times. This person who was walking along with him, he's telling him, "You got no sharam, no no shame in you." Last year this happened. This is happening again, and you are still not. You are going through this humiliation again. He said, "They doing what they want to do. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be still trying to maintain that family tie." They are doing what they want to do, why should I be affected by that? They are doing the wrong, why should I stop doing the right? Hmm. Oh, no. But the day came when those people who were slamming the door in his face, many of them became his ardent burids. <laughs> it didn't happen one time, over two years two rounds of, so to say, being run down. Or maybe it happened more than that also. But Allah Ta'ala brought it, and made it showed it in his lifetime. <coughs> that they became the bosom friends. So this is a very big sunnat. And it's something that we need to take deep down into our hearts and love the sunnat of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Can we imagine if the sunnats of eating, the sunnats of drinking, the sunnats of all the other various day-to-day things, if all this is filled with noor and all this takes a person in huge steps towards rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam what a great aspect this would be and how much noor will be filled in this and how close this will bring one to rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam allah ta'ala gives the tawfiq wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillah